our Open Journal magazine package. Hope you tune in, and thanks for listening to KPFT Houston. Hi there. I'm Luba Dvorak, singer-songwriter here in Houston, Texas. You're listening to KPFT Houston. I'm going blind from the brake lights on this L.A. freeway tonight. Welcome to another edition of the Progressive Forum. The Progressive Forum covers issues such as human rights, the environment, politics, and peace and justice, in addition to presenting news, commentary, and a weekly calendar of events. This is KPFT in Houston, the program's The Progressive Forum. I'm Wally James. On today's program, we have an interview with Dr. Brian Williams, author of the new book, The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. Also, we'll be offering his book as a thank you gift for supporting KPFT in The Progressive Forum. Now let's go to This Week in Hidden History. On February 5, 1631, Roger Williams, a pioneer of religious tolerance, arrives in America. On February 4, 1869, the Philippine insurrection against U.S. occupation begins. On February 6, 1919, 32,000 workers strike at Seattle shipyards, leading to a citywide general work stoppage. On February 9, 1950, Senator Joseph McCarthy accuses State Department employees in the Truman administration of having Communist Party affiliations. On February 10, 1964, the House of Representatives passes the Civil Rights Act. On February 9, 1968, four black students demonstrating against segregation are killed by police in Orangeburg, South Carolina in what is known as the Orangeburg Massacre. And on February 4, 1999, unarmed Ghanaian immigrant Amadou Diallo is killed by New York City police officers in a hail of bullets. That was This Week in Hidden History. This information comes from the calendar The Hidden History of the United States. Up next, we have a commentary by Jim Hightower. Here they come again, the wrecking crew of Alito, Barrett, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Robertson, Thomas, the six plutocratic judicial supremacists determined to force their political bias on all of us. The latest ploy of this right-wing cabal is to gut the ability of public agencies to issue regulations protecting people from health care rip-offs, consumer price gougers, labor abusers, toxic polluters, and other corporate profiteers. The six-person Republican majority controlling the court is about to decree that when reining in corporate abuses, public agencies can only take specific regulatory actions that Congress puts into law. Sounds good in theory, but in real life, Congress has no ability to itemize the ever-changing list of actions needed to stop the abuses. Thus, Congress and we the people rely on the diligence and expertise of agencies to make the law work. So the court's sneaky maneuver is just judicial smoke and mirrors, benefiting, well, who? Overregulated small businesses, wail the court's six laissez-faire ideologues. Indeed, to make their legal ruling, the six had handpicked a case involving a couple of small fishing companies complaining about federal rules to 
prevent the overfishing of herring. But wait, look who's steering those little fishermen's legal boat. Charles Koch, the ultra-billionaire anti-regulation extremist. His secretive political operation recruited the herring fishermen to be his corporate pawns and is orchestrating this judicial flim-flam. This is Jim Hightower saying, a recent headline meekly reports that conservative interests take aim at regulations. No, Koch forces are not conservative, they're corporate supremacists. And they're not aiming at regulations, but at you and me. Howdy ho, folks, and thanks for tuning in to my Hightower Radio Commentaries. And guess what? There's even more Hightower waiting for you online. Subscribers to my Substack newsletter, Jim Hightower's Lowdown, get commentaries, articles, interviews with progressive sparklies, live events, historical nuggets, and more. Go to jimhightower.substack.com to sign up, and you'll get more. That's jimhightower.substack.com. This is KPFT in Houston. The program's a progressive forum. I'm Wally James. Our guest today is Dr. Brian Williams, and he's author of the new book, The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How to Heal. Brian, welcome to the Progressive Forum. Wally, thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Well, me too. Let's start off talking about your great, great great-grandfather fought for the Union in the Civil War. Then after him, it's like one after another. You come from a line of men who have served in war only to come back and see that things really haven't changed that much. Can you talk about this? Yeah, I come from a long line of military service members. Uh, As you mentioned, um, my great-great-great-grandfather, he served in the South Carolina Regiment in the Civil War, serving for the Union. He was actually enslaved um, and then served out in the war, uh, but relatively served in World War One, World War Two. My father was a 23-year career Air Force enlisted troop, and I myself uh, served in the Air Force. I went to the Air Force Academy, became the first college graduate, and also served. So you can, you can say that military service is kind of in the family business, uh, but from that, I just learned uh, these values of what can we do to contribute to the country, what can we do to, to contribute to the greater good. Uh, but as you alluded to, there's this dichotomy that, you know, my ancestors were serving <laughs> to fight for these democratic ideals that we, uh, uh, that we talked about in the country, but they were, they were denied to them. But despite that, still did the work to try to create you know, liberty and justice uh, for all. And uh, that's something I've Yeah, and uh, well, in in your book, it's exposing a lot of these things. Uh, when you talk about uh, what has happened to uh, your ancestors and what uh, black people are still dealing with today, uh, the racism that's out there, in spite of people's best efforts. Can you say a little something about that? In the book, I wanted to draw this through line of how racism undergirds so much of our society. Uh, just, just kind of bear that, uh, lay that truth bare, so we can all see it. But then, really, make it about hopeful and healing. How we can talk about moving forward. 
So I, I did this as a memoir, so it's deeply personal. I used a lot of storytelling about my own personal experiences, but through that, we explore these bigger issues, uh, you know, gun violence, healthcare, structural racism, what that means for uh, American society, um, but with, really with an eye on, okay, how do we move forward from this by addressing and embracing our history to understand our present, to prepare and create a, a better future. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult journey, but I think one that's worth taking so that we can do something and create a world that we leave that's better for our children. Yeah. Well, one of these experiences that you talk about in your book is you were serving in the Air Force and near your base, pulled over by a police officer. Can you say something about that encounter? In recent years, we I think become more aware as a country about the interactions between police and black people, particularly black men, and how that can become lethal. But use that experience to describe like that's been happening to me across my entire life. And my experience is not unique, but I try to use my experience to say, look, this is nothing new. So let's really address the root cause of this. So when I was an Air Force officer, and I was pulled over in my car wearing my uniform and asked to get out of my car, put my hands on the hood for, you know, speeding. And my concern at the time was not, will I get a ticket or not? My concern was, <laughs> will I leave this encounter alive? Because even then, I knew that those seemingly innocuous encounters could lead to violence. Tried the, the embarrassment of my friends and colleagues driving by, seeing me pull over, but also the concern I have for my own safety during that event. The dichotomy is, I was just saying, like, look, I respect the work that police officers do. I support the police. Anyone that puts on a uniform to serve, I respect uh, what they're doing, but I also do have my own internalized fears based on my history and the shared narrative of my relatives that have told me what's happened to them. So rightfully concerned. I just want to put that out there and say, hey, look, this is the reality of my life. Uh, it's not just mine. Many of the folks have the same sort of experience. Let's address this, and then again, let's move forward towards a path of healing. Well, one more thing uh, along that line, and that was you serving as a as a doctor, physician, going into a patient's room and having them not seeing you as a doctor, but seeing you as someone to take out the trash or to clean off their dirty dishes. How did that affect you? Yeah, there are so few black men in medicine. There's actually less entering medical school now than entering medical school in the 70s. So uh, you see few people like me in the hospital wearing white coats and taking care of patients. So when I was caring for my patients, I've, I've had these incidents where I'd walk into a room to see one of my patients and then ask me to take out the trash or to clear the dirty tray of food. I've had patients tell me that they don't want me as their doctor. They want their real doctor, quote unquote, real doctor, because it's not me. And people that even know that I'm their doctor just flat out refuse my care. So this is what I've experienced over the course of my couple of decades uh, in medicine. Uh, but I counted to this, this to be a healer, right? I wanted to treat people and serve, but also recognize that uh, we have such significant disparities, in, you know, racial disparities in healthcare and health outcomes that my presence was important for those patients who uh, never felt that their doctors actually saw them, you know, understood what their experiences were. So that's what I bring to this is I need to be here to be a phenomenal doctor, be a phenomenal surgeon, and recognize the shared humanity of all my patients, but understanding that due to the exploitation of black people in the past and particularly current disparities in race when it comes to outcomes, life expectancy, maternal mortality that impacts black patients. My presence should make a difference in that. So I feel this great responsibility to be present and be on top of my game all the time, despite how sometimes I am ignored or demeaned or, or diminished. Can you talk a little bit about uh, July 7th in Dallas? You were working at Parkland Hospital at that time. July 7th, 2016 was the night we had a mass shooting of Dallas police officers. 
uh, 14 were shot and seven were brought to the hospital where I was working that night as the trauma surgeon. And just people in some context of that time frame, this was the summer of the presidential election between Clinton and Trump. Uh, but also on July 6th, the day before, was the day Philando Castile was shot and killed by a police officer in Minnesota. July 5th was the day that Alton Sterling was shot and killed by a police officer in Louisiana. And there had been other incidents that year leading up to that. So on July 7th, there were peaceful protests scheduled all across the country uh, in response to the deaths. Uh, but the one in Dallas became deadly when a lone sniper army veteran was there targeting police officers. Seven were brought to the hospital where I was working, three of whom died from their, their wounds, critical, critically injured. And it's a night that I still think about every day. The night nearly broke me. Uh, to lose any patient is, is something that you don't want, to, don't want to happen, but to lose three in succession, uh, uh, this, this, you know, it really changed me. And uh, I remember at one moment doing something I've done many times as a trauma surgeon, dealing with gun violence, is having the chains out of my bloody, uh, put on cleaning scrubs, and then walk into a room and tell these parents about the death of their child. You know, he's a grown man, police officer, uh, but delivering that devastating news to another family once again. And after that night and the next few days is when, you know, really began to really consider, like, what am I doing with my career? Am I doing enough to serve? Is there more I can do with my experience and expertise to be part of the healing of the community around me in Dallas and do something for the nation during this time when there was uh, a, a lot of you know, gun violence, <laughs> uh, issues with policing, um, racial justice protests, what more can I do? And I really need to look for the ways I can serve outside of the hospital. In this country, white men with guns are considered patriots. Police are considered protectors. And black men with guns are considered criminals. Can you break this down for us? What's going on here? Yes. Yeah, so in, in the book, I'm really taking a, a hard, unapologetic look at how, how race and racism interplays with uh, gun violence and gun ownership. So when you think about gun, and we can't, we can't separate the two. If we're going to save lives due to uh, gun violence, we have to really address how all these interplay. So when you think about gun ownership, who do you vision as the pa uh, patriots and the protectors and as the criminals? When you think of victims, who do you consider to be victims worthy of our grief and those who we should ignore? And race is, a, is, a, is, is an undeniable aspect of how we uh, categorize gun owners and victims. And I just want to in my job, seeing gun violence, uh, I, I see the sheer humanity in all these victims and all of the survivors. Uh, taking care of people from all different backgrounds. And uh, what I want to do is just, look, we have this epidemic of gun violence. We want to save uh, save lives. How do we do that without really addressing all of the different causes of different kinds of gun violence? Because it's not just one gun violence problem. We have multiple problems, whether it be suicide, homicide, uh, intimate partner violence, mass shootings, different types of Violence have different root causes, require different solutions. Uh, but within that, there's always these racial disparities uh, that we must address as well. So that's why I just want to take a hard, uh, direct look at that and kind of lay it out. This is what I've seen. This is what the research shows. Okay, now where do we go from here to end violence? So your thoughts on that, where do we go from here? We start by just embracing our shared history and understanding how structural racism and policies that have been designed to intentionally disenfranchise communities of color that lead to endemic violence persist today. So, so how, do we, how do we deal with that? So for example, we still live in a largely segregated society, majority black neighborhoods, 
the legacy of redlining and back from when we started giving housing loans only to certain areas and designating certain areas as poor investments. When you have these neighborhoods living below the poverty line, we see that there's actually higher levels of violence. This is from Department of Justice statistics. So what can we do to address that? We need to radically reinvest in these communities that have been historically ignored. And by recognizing that there's significant racial disparities, we can increase the standard of living, reduce violence. But you have to look at the fact that race-based policies from generations ago still persist today. Uh, the, the structures are there, so you have to be intentional about reversing it. It's not enough to say remove the barriers. You have to also remove the barriers and reinvest in these communities. That will impact housing, violence, education, jobs. Uh, so we took this, my, my view as a trauma surgeon, and kind of telescoped out to see what that meant for society at, at large. And addressing race and race-based policies that have for a long time is one way to uh, reverse the negative impacts of decisions made long ago. Good evening. This is Lillian Kerr on the Progressive Forum with Wally James. Um, you've been listening to Wally's interview with Dr. Brian Williams on his book, The Bodies Keep Coming Back. And we will be coming back to that uh, interview, but we're taking a break now. As you know, we're in Fun Drive here at KPFT, and um, this is where we um, sort of hit pause on our regular programming. And we come to you, our listeners, to ask for money, to ask for a pledge, uh, to a show of support to keep us on the air, as we have been on the air for over <laughs> 54 years. Um, and we're so excited to be here. Wally? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Interest, okay. great interview, great interview. Um, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing you. more of it. Um, I mean, it's so interesting that he himself is a trauma surgeon and that he's seen firsthand what, what violence can do to people. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I just want to say something that I recorded that interview with him yesterday, mm-hmm. and I planned on being in the studio this evening, except I was under the weather and didn't want to take a chance on getting anyone sick. So I'm calling in from home, and Lillian's there in the studio, and we're reaching out to you to do something for this station that's been there for so long for all of us. And uh, we've got this great thank you gift. Uh, it's... Uh, Dr. Brian Williams' new book, The Body Keep The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How to Heal. And uh you can get that for a hundred dollar donation to KPFT. About, you know, it's yeah. it's a great gift. It's a yeah. good hardback book with wonderful information in it. And it's as you can tell from the interview, he is someone that speaks from his heart mm-hmm. about what's going on. And uh, I hope that some of you will take us up on this. We have four copies. If you uh, want to, do make that call and support KPFT, uh, 713-526-5738. This is a time, as Wally was saying, that we hope that you can um, show your support. We, we what, what is the minimum now? I think is it changed or is it still twenty five or forty? I I actually I'm not sure right now. Uh, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> we'll take any pledge. Yeah, yeah we'll take any pledge. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sixty is a good basic pledge if you can right. afford it. That's five dollars a month if you right. want to break it down, and uh, and any of these premiums uh, like the one I'm talking about with. Uh, Brian Williams' book, mm-hmm. that, you can break that down. Right. And uh, so that's not so much. What, whatever it is, if there's a, uh, I think you give you like, there are T-shirts. Uh, I was just looking at some of the uh, thank you gifts. Uh, there are different T-shirts. There's uh, uh, tote bags. There's, you know, there's all kinds of nice things. And uh, when you call in, somebody can explain to you, what's available at what level, but uh, whatever it is, whatever you can afford, we would greatly appreciate it. Right. Uh, 
we, you know, we'll just ask you to call in 713-526-5738 or go to www.kpft.org. Um, your donation is 100% tax deductible. We are a registered 501c3 nonprofit. So we are, um, we are very good stewards of, what, of the money that comes in. We've been operating... And keeping this shows like this and, and all the shows that are broadcast here on KPFT 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we've been here broadcasting on a shoestring budget, I might add. We all had to go home during the pandemic. Our, our uh, building was closed for, um, for health reasons and safety reasons. And all of us programmers became suddenly became had to become studio sound technicians <laughs> pretty quickly. But we did, and we kept the shows going. Um, if you were listening from all those, you know, two, three years ago, you know the shows. We kept, we kept the music and the news and public affairs shows on the air the whole time, no interruption. So, And that's thanks to many of you, our listeners, those of you that have stuck with us through the 50-plus years that we've been here in Houston, those of us that just maybe found us last week. It doesn't matter. You're equally important to, to us, and we value every single member that, that makes a call or goes online and makes a pledge. It's so critical that we keep this kind of programming on the air. We know that this is an election year coming up in the USA. We know that with all this fake um, news that's out there, especially with all the AI-generated stuff, we're going to have to be on our toes to know where our facts are coming from, where the news is coming from, and we're just going to have to do our due diligence, each of us as as informed citizens, so we can participate in the democratic process, so that we can so that our vote counts, so that we know that it counts, and to protect our democracy, we have got to be vigilant. And part of that is is none of our shows are AI generated. <laughs> uh, we, um, you know, so we are real live people doing real live stuff right here on 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 the air. As and Wally's interview is with a real live person, real life questions, real life responses, and we we just put such value on that and Pacifica as a foundation put such value on the truth, on finding the hidden truths behind the major stories that you're hearing about. You're not getting that kind of programming anywhere else. So with a little engine that could, the little station that keeps on chugging along and we are we, we're not going anywhere, please make a phone call. We have volunteers standing by. They'll take your pledge, credit card. You can set up these um, monthly sustaining pledges, $10, $5 a month, $20 a month, whatever works for you. We would just love to get your support. This would be amazing. We have we have these memory bricks, and we are at this at our new location. You've seen them, right, Wally? I've seen them. Yeah. Um, they're amazing. So we're in our new building now at 40, 4504 Caroline in downtown Houston. Um, we moved in here just over a year ago. Um, so we, we've settled in. We've uh, we're kind of making it home now. <laughs> this will be our home, our new home, and in the front yard we have an opportunity for folks that want to to have show more concrete show of uh, support we have memory bricks in two sizes four inches by eight inches or eight inches by eight inches and the four by I'm sorry the four by eight inch and the eight by eight inch so the smaller size the four by eight inch memory brick goes for $25 a month sustaining membership which is about $300 a year. And the the bigger brick, that's eight inches by eight inches, goes for $50 a month. And you can inscribe them with a personal message, make them in memories of somebody, in honor of somebody. And these bricks will be 
are placed out permanently and become part of our uh, courtyard out here in front of the station in downtown Houston. So, um, I mean, that's a great way to to show your concrete support, so so to speak, of the station, of Pacifica, of KPFT. Um, we certainly hope that you'll consider that if you're looking for a way to um, uh, show, to, to have a premium. And in, of course, in addition is the book that we're talking about, the Bodies Keep Coming Back by Dr. Brian Williams, and we're in the middle of that interview with, with the author. So whatever premium you're interested in, as well as the regular T-shirts, we've got the T-shirts, the mugs, um, the tote bags, the rainbow logo T-shirt. So we even have face masks. So give us a call. Let us know what you're interested in. Our volunteers can help answer any questions. But the main thing is you pick up the phone or punch in the number, you know, go to the website, www.kpft.org. The phone number is 713-526-5738. Please show your support for KPFT, for the Progressive Forum, and for the kind of programming that you that you will only get here at KPFT, nowhere else. Yeah, make that call. And we're going to get back to the interview, but stick around. And uh, uh, there's a lot of great information still coming from uh, Dr. Brian Williams. And as Lillian said, make that call, 713-526-5738. Whatever level uh, you can afford, the memory memory bricks are great if you can afford that, Uh, as well as the T-shirts and everything else. Uh, So let's get back to the interview. And uh, we'll be back talking to you in just a little while. This is KPFT in Houston. The program's a progressive forum. I'm Wally James. Our guest today is Dr. Brian Williams, and he's author of the new book, The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How to Heal. Well, let's talk about the medical system. It's like going back, you know, looking at the uh, 19th century before we had the, you know, the breakthroughs that we have now, young doctors having to practice on, on cadavers, but they didn't have the sources that, that we have nowadays. Can you talk about what was happening then and how that comes to now and what's going on? Yeah, so we, we talked about how black people were exploited by the medical establishment. Uh, we frequently talk about experimentation, so Tuskegee, experiment is probably one that many people know about but yeah. also black bodies of, of dead black americans were used as well so you're referring to how uh, medical students would sneak into the graveyards which were segregated back then and, and exhume black bodies and take them to practice you know useful cadaver dissection and uh you know bodies were desecrated not always returned to their to their uh back to their graves that recently, probably maybe 20 years, 20, 25 years ago, they, they exhumed a bunch of remains below a medical school, I believe it was in South Carolina, that had been, these bodies had been used and just kind of dumped. So they found a bunch of bones. Um, but it's uh, just another example of how, you know, medical science has been advanced by uh, exploiting living black people as well as the bodies of black people. Um, and, you know, I've actually learned some things I've been taught or have come from that. Uh, but also, I think it would be, it would be great to talk about this in a medical education. Just explain, like, this, this, this is our history. <laughs> sort of denying it. This is some of the ugly parts of our history. Here's why we're here now. Uh, so that would explain why there's such distrust of the medical system for many people of color. Because we know, we know this history. Uh, but you can't get past that by ignoring it or denying it or, or hiding it. So I, I put that in the book as well to just kind of, you know, again, put the curtain back on these ugly parts of our past so we understand where we are now and work towards a better future. Yes. And just for a second here, I think that most white people who live in this privileged environment can't imagine what it's like to have people like you experimented on and never treated just to see how it would look if it got worse and worse. And that is something that, you know, I think a lot of people, they know about it, but they don't really think about how that can affect people's attitudes towards medicine. Uh, We mentioned Tuskegee. Many people have probably heard of that experiment where 
the federal government, the, the public health service, uh, denied treatment for syphilis in infected black men. They did it for four decades because they wanted to study the progression of the disease. And I understand this, this can lead to significant neurological disease. Um, just they didn't receive the treatment, which was penicillin, which would cure this. They suffered. They, they infected their partners. Children got infected as well. Uh, all of a sudden, the effect of this disease, and they didn't even know it. But there's other examples, too. Uh, J. Marion Sims, she's known as the father of modern gynecology. He perfected many of his, his surgical techniques by doing really barbaric vaginal surgeries on enslaved women without anesthesia. Uh, some were held down, <laughs> screaming, perfected techniques. Some of the procedures and uh, tools he developed are just uh, to this day. So they, they actually had a statue in New York City that was recently taken down a few years ago once its history was uh, described. Henrietta Lacks had her uh, cervical cancer cells taken without her consent. They're known as the HeLa cells, and to this day, uh, it's been used to develop many cancer treatments and the company, you know, billions of dollars have been made off of this woman, uh, woman cells who were taken without her, without her consent. Uh, so this is just a few examples where black people have been used, utilized without their consent for medical advances. And I just feel, again, talk about this, teach this, uh, we can't deny our history. And we can't change that history, but we can try to path to a better future. And to do that, we need knowledge. We need knowledge and acceptance of where we come from to move forward. That's so true. In your book, you, you write about your neighborhood should influence the odds that your grandchildren are going to grow up. Oh, absolutely. There's a saying that your zip code is more important than your genetic code, genetic code as far as health. Uh, and what that means is that uh, we can identify certain zip codes where health outcomes are the worst, whether it be for uh, fetal, um, um, maternal fetal mortality, uh, gun violence, life expectancy, diagnoses of late-stage cancers, uncontrolled diabetes. See, when you think about that, you can identify a zip code where this is happening. You have to ask yourself, why is that? And you look back, and these zip codes are frequently the same zip codes that were redlined um, uh, generations ago. And when I mean redlining, neighborhoods that were racially segregated and uh, disinvestment led to poor, poor neighborhoods, low socioeconomic status, low wages, less educational opportunities, uh, but also has tremendous impacts, negative impacts on health. So zip codes should not determine that. There are even zip codes now where they can say if you're a young, if you're a black boy born in these zip codes, you will end up in the criminal justice system. It's called the, the cradle to prison zip codes, which is just a sad statement of a, about the state of our country when that happens. So what is the solution to that, Wally? Again, education, acceptance, but, you know, we need investment in these communities from, you know, local, state, and federal uh, government to not only remove the barriers, but to reverse these trends by investing in areas that local state government policies have disenfranchised for so long. It is incumbent upon us. We have so much wealth and ingenuity in this country that we can do that. By doing that, everybody benefits. It's not a zero-sum game. We all benefit when we all thrive. I want to go back a little bit to guns, something that I had skipped over, and that is the Milford Act, which was signed into law in 1969 by then-Governor of California, Ronald Reagan, and it was backed by the NRA. It was basically designed to expand gun control, and uh, that's really hard to imagine today. Can you say something about that? Yes, this just continues our discussion earlier about race and gun ownership, who we consider the protectors and the patriots and the criminals. So the, back in uh, the late 60s, early 70s, you remember the exact date, but uh, the Black Panther Party was trying to protect 
its citizens from just rampant police brutality in Oakland. Um, but these were people, these were attorneys, lawyers, they, they knew the law, and California had an open carry law uh, for, for weapons. So they did this, just that, and they actually marched to the Capitol to protest police brutality in their neighborhoods with their weapons. They followed all of the laws to, uh, to do it at the time, but the response was dramatic that the NRA and the California legislature actually enacted one of the strictest gun control measures in, in the history of the country. Um, and the, the only intent was to disarm black people who were exercising their right to open carry a firearm. So this was, let's slow this down, think about this, the NRA was in favor of a very strict gun control law as long as, as, long as it, it was limiting the ability of black people to exercise their legal right to bear arms. It was signed into law by Ronald Reagan, who then was the governor of California, and again, one of the, one of the strictest gun control laws uh, uh, in history. It was not about gun ownership, it was about who could own the guns, who could exercise the Second Amendment rights. And the decision then was anybody but black people. I look at our state. Used to, you could only carry a gun in Texas if you had been trained and you, you know, had a certificate showing that you were qualified to do it. But our governor has changed it so just anybody can carry a gun. But getting back to what you were saying, if that anybody turns out to be a black person, they're not going to be treated the same. And you look at a 17-year-old kid who was able to, with an assault rifle, was able to walk into a protest, kill two men, and walk away, and was not convicted of anything. The double standard that's going on in this country is just so appalling. You're leading to the, the standard ground laws and how those are proliferating uh, around the country. And again, with those, there's a tremendous racial disparity. You just, you just mentioned the shooting in uh, Kenosha, Kyle Rittenhouse. That's the one you just referred to. But when you look at the uh, data from standard ground laws, significant racial disparities. And it's uh, basically race of a shooter and the victim matter. Uh, black people who claim standard ground are less likely to be deemed a justifiable shooting. But if the victim is black, it's more often to be justified as justified shooting, justifiable shooting or killing. Uh, so you know, the standing ground, round, standing ground laws are unequally applied when it considers the race of the victim. And the reality is, if you are a white man who shoots an unarmed person in public and kills them and claims stand your ground, you are less likely to be convicted than a woman who shoots and kills her violent domestic abuser to, to protect herself. Uh, so that just shows that there's significant disparities in how that law is applied uh, when it comes to who is protected by that law. Both of those things I've really noticed so much when it comes to who is trying to defend themselves and what kind of rights they have. Well, let's get back to, you know, we're talking about hospitals and, and your experiences. And you talk about something called safety net hospitals. Can you talk about what they're designed or supposedly designed to do and what actually happens? I've chosen my career to work at safety net hospitals. And these are the hospitals, people refer to them as county hospitals, public hospitals, go by a variety of names, but essentially are the hospitals that are there to care for those that may not have health insurance. You know, they're generally people that don't have the means to pay for their medical care. Safety in the hospitals, a lot are in rural areas too, where rural areas only have uh, limited healthcare facilities. So that can be a safety in the hospital as, as well. Uh, but we're designed to catch those that are kind of falling through the cracks of the healthcare system. That's the safety net. My argument is like, why do we even have a safety in the hospital system? I, I know why do we need them. I've chosen to work at these hospitals. But we have to stop dichotomizing people into those that deserve health care and those that do not. Uh, and it comes down to finances, right? Um, we have a lot of wealth and ingenuity in this country. We can provide health care for everyone that is of high quality. 
Um, but we don't. And we continue to spend more and more money on health care, but we don't get the same health care outcomes of other comparable countries of this sort of wealth. If we're paying all this money, our health care outcomes should be, you know, to reflect that, but we don't. We're low on maternal mortality. Our life expectancy is lower. Uh, you pick a number of other uh, 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 predictors, and we just don't work for our investment. We're not getting the results. So I'm saying if we invested more, um, we may not even need to take in the hospital. We wouldn't even need that if we can look at investing more in health and not health care. And there are really a lot of perverse financial assistance financial incentives throughout the healthcare system uh, that contribute uh, to these disparities. And of course, those that suffer the greatest are, you know, racial and ethnic minorities that are suffering due to, due to lack of health care. Your job has been to improve people's lives working in these hospitals. Now you, you would like to uh, run to be a, a congressperson. Can you say something about how you think you may be able to accomplish things that you have not been able to accomplish in the hospitals. I'm currently running for U.S. Congress in the 32nd Congressional District of Texas. This is an open seat. And if elected, I'd be the first trauma surgeon in Congress. Uh, I'd also be the first black doctor with voting privileges in Congress. Uh, you can learn more about my campaign at drbrianwilliamsforcongress.com. And I'm running, after writing the book, I put it aside. There's a call to action. The book is a call to action for the reader. But when I finished, my call to action is, okay, now what do I do? And I decided I wanted to run for Congress because um, I served as a policy advisor in Congress. And there's a need for healthcare workers with frontline experience at the table making public policy that impacts health. And if you think about it, health touches so much of our daily lives that it is central to American life, not just when you see the doctor, but for the economy and so other many reasons. And uh, I, I know I can make a difference because my experience, I can tell the stories of my patients and what it means to not have access to home care. Uh, as a doctor, I can talk about, you know, the, the challenges of running a practice and what it means to, uh, uh, to train the future, future doctors to care for uh, our, our citizens. But also someone I've, I've, been, I've worked as a policy advisor. I served in the office of Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And uh, so I had a chance to work on health policy at the highest level. So I have experience here and in Washington. And if elected, I know I can make a tremendous difference that will uplift the lives of millions. And I've seen it happen. Congress can do big things. We do a lot of good for a lot of people with the right leaders in place. feel very good about our campaign. I look forward to the opportunity to serve. Well, and we need more people like you that are willing to serve and people that aren't going to be subservient to their donors and working for their interests instead of working for the people's interests. One more thing before I let you go. And as we've talked about the voices that we hear so often, you know, it's people that want uh, the right to carry guns and people that want goals to limit the shootings and and we hear from family members who have been touched by these killings. But you say that there are some people that we haven't heard from. Can you say something about who they are? Absolutely. Uh, as, as a trauma surgeon, I've worked at these safety net hospitals, which are generally serve the underserved. And it's the everyday gun violence that's been part of my career that frequently is ignored when we talk about these shootings in the media. When we talk about these mass shootings, and let me be clear, any one preventable death due to gun violence is one too many, and that's what I'm working to end. Uh, but I also want to bring the, elevate the voices of those that we frequently overlook, having had to pronounce too many children and teens uh, dead on arrival, young black men who remind me of myself and their families remind me of their families, frequently overlooked in the general discussion about uh, gun violence in this country. And that's the sort of voice I want to bring to Congress, because as the first trauma surgeon, I can talk about what it's like to be in the trauma bay, dealing with this carnage every day, what it means to the families and survivors uh, when, when this happens, and uh, talk about how race is, is an important part of the discussion to lead towards solutions. 
So being able to elevate those voices is, I think it's an obligation on my part, knowing what I've seen, because so many people don't feel anyone's listening to them or anyone cares. They want, I want to be the one that says, look, I see you. I care about you. I'm going to do what I can to help you. And as representative in Congress, I'll do what I can to make that happen on a national scale. We need that so much, not just in this country, but particularly in this state where it seems like people in power are just not listening to what is going on. And so I'm I'm hoping that you can do that, that you can make a difference. Before we let you go, can you leave us with a closing thought? Yes. When I wrote this book and when I finished it, the goal was for it to be the call to action for the reader. I wanted you to feel drawn into this story. I spent a lot of time pulling you into the story because so you felt like you were there along the way that we would learn. As you learned uh, throughout the story at the end, you should be motivated to do something differently. You should see the world differently the day after you read the book than the day before, but then be inspired to action because each of us, we all have some small role in helping to create justice in our society. And I said, my call to action is run for Congress. I don't know what your call to action would be, but feel free to reach out to me and contact me on my website, brianwilliamsmd.com. Shoot me a message, and I'm happy to continue this conversation. Thank you so much for taking this time to be with us. Our guest today has been Dr. Brian Williams, and he is author of the new book, The Bodies Keep Coming, Batches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. Well, that's, we're taking another break right now from Wally's interview with Dr. Brian Williams. That's the book, Bodies, The Bodies Keep Coming Back. And that book is available at the, is it the $90 pledge, Wally, or the $100 pledge? Uh, it's a $100 the pledge. The $100 pledge. This, the book that Wally is talking, and Wally's talking to the author right now, that book is available at the $100 level pledge. It's a hardback book. Um, I mean, it's a fascinating subject from from Dr. Williams, who himself has seen a lot of this firsthand. I think this is it's very interesting. So if you want to take us up on that offer, that book can be yours at the $100 level by calling in 713-526-5738, um, showing your support for the Progressive Forum here at KPFT 90.1. And um, you can break that pledge down into... Um, you know, installments. $8 and, yeah. $8 and 33 cents a month. Over a year or? Yeah, over a year. Right. So you, you decide what's comfortable for you. Um, and if, if you want to take us up on that offer, we have this other thing that, um, that our pledge people put together a very nice little premium. For $120, you get a Caroline Street coffee cup. That's a, a mug, a coffee mug with the Caroline Street building on it. It's quite attractive. And a KPFT coffee blend from Lola Savannah. And I think they're um, local roasters or at least Texas roasters. So that's available. You get the coffee beans plus the mug um, for $120. So I think that might be for, for this. I'm a coffee drinker. I love that stuff. So... If you like to be caffeinated, as I do, that might be something, or you give it as a gift, very nice little gift, $120. You get you get the coffee beans plus a very attractive mug. So something to think about. And again, at any level, you can break down the, your pledge and pay it out over time, or one just put it all on one card, whatever works for you. But the main thing is you call us, 713-526-5738. And Wally, I think we have some people to thank. Oh, good. Uh, let's see. Well, a friend of mine, uh, Rochelle, is one of the donors. And uh, Rochelle, very, uh, and she's moved to Austin, and she is still supporting KPFT. Oh, she listens to it online. That's wonderful. Yes. So thank you so much, Rochelle. Uh, you got someone to thank? And do we have Barbara to thank as well? That's right. 
and Patricia. And, they, and these three women called in some very generous pledges. So we want to acknowledge that and thank them um, for showing their support. That's, that's so awesome. Rochelle, Barbara, Patricia, thank you for calling in. They did their part. Now we're asking you to do yours. 713-526-5738. You can do it too. Um, if you haven't pledged before or joined before, it's really a very easy process. We have friendly volunteers standing by to take your pledge by credit card, by bank draft, whatever. If you want to mail in a check, that we can work that, work that out too. So call in your donation to KPFT is 100% tax deductible because we are a registered 501c3 here in Texas. So um, 713-526-5738. Go ahead and make that call. Show your support at whatever level. As I said, we've got the book at the $100 level for uh, the this is the book, The Bodies Keep Coming Back by Dr. Brian Williams. That's the interview that we're listening to right now. Um, we have the the at $120, we've got the coffee beans from Lola Savannah plus the KPFT coffee mug, a joint – you get two for one at $120. So think about that one. And then there are the memory bricks, and that's at the sustainer level. The smaller bricks go for $25 a month, and the larger bricks go for $50 a month. And again, you can – inscribe your own personal message on those bricks and they go permanently into the courtyard here at 4504 Caroline. Um, it's a lovely way to show your memory um, or honoring somebody or just a favorite verse or something, poetry, something that you want to put on there. Um, 713-526-5738. We're just trying to make this these are all little what bait to get you to make a call. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I mean, I think the big attraction here, Wally, right, is that that you that are, that are listening right now know the value of this kind of programming, and you know that all the other stuff is just um, icing on the cake. Because what really matters is that you get this kind of programming twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, right here at ninety point one FM. You don't get this anywhere else. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight. Please call and show your support for KPFT ninety point one right here in Houston. Yes, please do make that call. It's so important to keep this station on the air. This is the first day of the fun drive and so we're really counting on you to help get us off to a good start. And uh as I said before, uh, Rochelle, who called in, she's in Austin. Barbara, she's in Houston. And Patricia is in Alvin. So that's only one person from Houston. See if we can get somebody else oh, from God. Houston to call oh, come in. Come on, Houston. <laughs> uh, we know you can we hear know us. You're out there. <laughs> <laughs> that is so right. Uh, the uh, tower is broadcasting real well. So we know you can hear us. And if you are moved at all by what, you know, well, particularly the interview we had tonight with uh, Brian Williams, you know, uh, surgeon, uh, uh, a surgeon, uh, a trauma surgeon, and uh, his book, The Bodies Keep Coming. This is, you know, powerful stuff. And, you know, I could have talked to him for an hour. He just had so much information. And please uh, take us up on this. It's a great book. And uh, it'll, there's so much more in there than we were able to talk about. And just you name it. There's all kinds of uh, thank you gifts. But you know, as Lillian was saying before, it's, the, it's what you hear over the radio. You're not going to get this anywhere else. You know, it's a nonprofit. Uh, you know, it's run by volunteers who really care about uh, the city and about the people here, and let us know that you support that. Make a call seven one three five two six five seven three eight seven one three five two six KPFT. And we're about to run out of time, aren't we, Lillian? I know this has gone by so quickly. Um, do we have any more of the interview to get back to, Wally? No, that okay. that is it. Okay. 
Well, um, you still have a couple of minutes to call before Jackie Batiste comes on with People of Earth. Um, 713-526-5738 or go to www.kpft.org. Please call, show your support. Do you know that in March of this year, we will be celebrating 54 years on the air at KPFT 90.1 FM. And that is thanks to you, our listeners. Many of you have been listening for all those 54 years. Please call 713-526-5738. 713-526-KPFT. And uh, please uh, do support this great station. And thank you for the people that have called in. And we would really love to get one or two more people to call in before it's over. 713-526-5738. 713-526-KPFT. Uh, we Let have volunteers standing by. They, we can take your pledge by bank draft, by credit card, whichever works for you, or you can mail in a check. The main thing is you phone phone right now, 713-526-5738. All right. Well, take care, uh, and we'll be back next week. But do yep. support this station and make that call, 713-526-5738.